mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Verse 18, again, um, Peter put his foot in his mouth a lot. Peter said a lot of things that were impetuous and wrong. And it was even by uh, uh, Jesus at one time told, get behind me, Satan. And it was because his heart was not about the things of God, the word of God, the place of God. He told Jesus he wasn't going to go to Jerusalem and die. And Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan, in front of everybody. Think about that type of a rebuke when you're the number one guy with Jesus. You're the head guy of, the, of, uh, of Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. And, and, and Peter, or God called him the rock and said, Peter, upon this truth, I will build my church. And then he looks at you and says, get behind me, Satan. Listen, this is because when our heart is not upon the things of God, the, the, the way that God is doing it, then our, our mind is either on God's or the devil's ways. There's no, there's no other way. If it's not in God's direction for God's glory to reconcile souls, then it's, there's only one other way it can be. You can either be building or you can be killing with the devil. And that's, that's what we have in our death culture that we see today everywhere. It's really being magnified. Death culture is being magnified. It's been going on since the garden where they're trying to kill the word of God, muzzle the word of God. So we come to this place where Peter has really learned a lot, um, and he is telling us uh, about such a great salvation. He tells us who we are positionally because of Christ and his precious blood. And then he begins to tell us about our actions as the body of Christ. And we're in a section that is very difficult because, see, we're a rebellious people. What is original sin? It's rebellion. It rebelled against the word of God. It said no to the word of God. And the Bible tells us in two places, two witnesses, that the fool has said no to God. No to God. The Bible tells us in two places in Proverbs that there's a way that seems right in a person's heart, but its way is death. Its way is following death culture. There's a way that we think, oh, this is right. I'm going to do this. And it's death culture. Why? Because it does not line up with the heart of God, the word of God, the way of God, the character of God, the name of God. See, we, when we come back to God through the precious blood of Jesus, we have said, yes, Lord, now I don't want to live like that anymore, and I want to begin to learn what is right. I want to begin to learn how to obey, and I want to lay my life down and do your will, not my will, the way Jesus did in the garden. So when we come to this text, 
we have to understand that your nature and my nature in the flesh carnally is rebellious. It's just rebellious against the truth of God. So what does God do? He tells us that we have to die to self. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. Luke 9, 23. We have to deny the way my rebellious nature wants to act. Now listen to me, because some people get irritated with this. The American dream has been hijacked, and it teaches us that if you don't like what the boss is saying, or you don't like what's going on, you can just go change it. You can just go to another job. You don't have to be loyal to these people. You can just go to another spouse. You don't have to be loyal to this spouse. You can just go to another. You fill in the blank. You can just stop it. You can get rid of it. You can fast food it. But nothing about the gospel is fast food. Jesus long and painstakingly died on the cross for us. And he knew that that was the hour he had came from. And he was sinless. And he did not seek to get out of it. He set his face like flint and went and obeyed the Father's will. And the Bible teaches that he learned perfect obedience through the things that he suffered. And so America, the church, does not understand that suffering is one of the tools that God uses. Now, did he ever mean it to be that way? No. God uses all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God's intent was for us to walk perfectly with him, but sin creates death. And that death creates decay. And in that decay, we have confusion from the devil. And so now we have all kinds of things going on. But you know what? It rains and shines, we're going to learn, on the just and the unjust. We're all going through the exact same things. That same boss at work, that same spouse, that same person, that same thing that bothers you. Everybody's got to go through it. And when you go through it, whether it's cancer, whether it's sickness, whether it's pain, whether it's you fill in the blank. When you go through it, you should go through it differently because you know Jesus. You shouldn't go through it just like the world goes through it. You shouldn't be doing what the world does because that's good old-fashioned rebellious sin. They're doing, they're, they're just trying to get the most toys. They're just trying to be pleasured. They're just trying to be happy. And the Bible never teaches us to be happy. The Bible teaches us to be holy. And if you're being holy as God is holy, then that should make your soul blessed or you should have an emotion of happiness. But guess what? It may end very quickly with some bad news or some pain. So anyway, let's get back to what I was talking about. We've been set free, last lesson, right, to follow Jesus. We've been set free from the law. We're really not subject to anything except for God. We're behind enemy lines. This is not our home. We're citizens in heaven. But we can't use that freedom from the power and the penalty of sin as a cloak for, you guys with me on this text? For vice, verse 16, maliciousness is the word in the King James. You should read the word. It means a whole lot more. It means evil. It means badness. It means wickedness. We can't just say, okay, I'm free to do whatever I want. I have liberty. I have freedom in Christ because Christ already paid for all my sins, past, present, and future. He set me free from it. So now I can live any way I want. No, why? Because we're ambassadors. We're witnesses. 
We can't use it as a veil to, to, to say, I'm okay because I'm already forgiven. We want others to come to Christ, so they have to see the beauty and the love of Christ. They have to see the perfection of Christ. And therefore, we have to deal with this word subject or submit. And we did find out last week, and we, we were reminded by somebody who knew Greek a little bit better than me, that just because it has a Y in it, if I'd have looked at the pronunciation, it still is hupotasso. That's what the word is, hupotasso. It's a military term. In fact, in, in this next seven verses, 18 through 25, as we close out chapter 2, about six of the words have hupo under them, which means behind or under. You've got to be behind it or under it. You, you know, you got to go through it. There's a through principle in the Bible. You go through. You don't go around mountains. You don't go around problems. You don't seek to get away from them. Think about it. We're going to talk about it. Submission to a boss. Here it says, uh, 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 servants to your masters. The NIV erroneously, I believe, erroneously translates it slave. The word is not the common word for slave. But they are house servants. They're servants that they could have been indentured servants. There was a lot of indentured servants in these times where they owed money and they became a slave. And they were in a house for a long period of time. And they could have stayed there at the end of the time that when, they, when they're supposed to be set free, they can actually say, I want to stay here. And then what would they do? You guys remember if you're Bible students, it's the pierce my ear, O Lord. You take them to the front of the house on the, on the, on, on the doorpost of the house. You had pierced their ear. With an all, because I like my master, my master's a good master. See, it's easy to obey. Again, it's easy to hupotasso, which is a military term about orderly ranking yourself underneath the authorities in your life. So first of all, you have to understand that there is authority. When there's no authority, there's chaos, there's confusion. God is a God of order. He has placed authority in the universe. What was the first authority, really? One rule in the garden. You can eat of all those trees. See the privilege? See the privilege? How does the devil get us to look at it? There's one tree that you don't get to eat from. Wait a minute. God just gave you all of these trees. There's only one thing you can't do, and the heart desires to do it. And then the devil rushes in and says, he's holding out on you. He's keeping you from it. You're privileged to have all of this. And the devil flips it and makes it look like you're missing out on one thing. What about all that you get to do? So here it is again, hupotasso, military ranking, training the heart not to be rebellious. See, salvation is by faith. We're going to see that in the text. It's by the blood of Jesus alone. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't do nothing except believe in it. It's been freely given to the whole planet, anyone who will receive it. But then we have sanctification, where you begin to be trained and conformed into the image of Christ who is perfect in all of his actions, all of his ways, all of his thoughts. No sin in him. Now, it's interesting that we're not left without a witness. Christ won, but the family. See, in the family, it's a huge witness of the same thing. In fact, when we're commanded to have children and then train them in the way that they're supposed to do, go, what are we really doing? We want to train their little hearts not to be rebellious. Against authority. Listen to me. This is, this is very important because today we're trying to defund the police. 
last generation was just not training their children to obey authority. They were, they, they, you, couldn't, you couldn't just send them to school and, and, and give them, you know, the principal when I was in school would apply the uh, uh, board of education to the seat of the pants. But now we took the authority away from the teachers to even correct the children. See, and we're going further. Now we're going to take the authority away from the police to arrest people. So we're going further into this lawless people who rewards evil and shames good. Well, why is it? Because it's death culture. It's killing what God said is morally right. And it's taking the morally wrong and making it right. It's turning us into a culture that says no to God and yes to man. Yes to the devil is who we're saying yes to, though, because he's the only one that's trying to kill God's word. And he uses people to do it. And sometimes they're just useful idiots. They don't even know what they're doing. They really think that they are telling you the truth when they are deceived and deceiving is what the Bible says. And deceiving uh, uh, is something that I believe deception is always of self. I want to believe that. I like that. I'm going to pursue that. Wait a minute. There is a truth. And you've got to always remember this. If you're arguing with somebody, if you're in opposition with somebody, you can both be wrong, but you both can't be right. You can both have the wrong opinion of what God says, but you both can't be right. You just can't. So that statement, let's agree to disagree, in the wind. Get rid of it. There's a truth that we can follow. There's an absolute truth, and that truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And the question always is, is did God say? What did God say? You should be finding that out if you want to be sanctified. And the way to do that is to stop being rebellious and running. I have a friend who's went through seven, eight jobs. And I'm like, dude, every time you get there, you're still there. The problem's not with you. God's working on your heart to teach you to submit to authority. See, we always think the problem's with somebody else, but God is working on you personally. The, the, the problem is, is your heart. I'm not saying people aren't offended and people ain't hurt and people don't do things wrong, but God, if he's God, is sovereign and he knows what they were going to do and how they were going to do it, and he wants you to surrender. We're being given a witness, the example of Christ himself. Think about it, sinless in thought, words, actions, deeds. He's God of the universe coming and taking flesh with us. And he quietly went and fulfilled the will of the Father. We're going to see it here. We're going to be in Isaiah 53 where you were at a couple times. Maybe we might turn there. I might, not. I might just give it his homework to read it. 700 years, is that correct? 700 years before the cross. Before the 10th and the on, um, listen to me. This is the hardest, well, next week is the hardest text in the Bible to teach, chapter 3. But dealing with subject and submit and hupotasso is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of life. It's the heart of everything. Who are you going to be under authority to? And you have to make that decision. You can't say, well, I'm well-learned and I can obey what I want to obey. There's truth 
and there's a lie. That's it. There's only two roads. I know there's a lot of different religions. There's a lot of different isms. There's a lot of different ways. But every road leads to heaven, someone has said. But when you get to heaven, only the ones who obeyed the authority and believe in the blood of Jesus are going to stay there. The rest of them are going to go from the white throne judgment and cast into hell. It's going to look like they're going to heaven, but the final judgment's going to cast them into hell. So this whole life, 78, 80 years, is about whether we're going to come back under authority of God and say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, because God did say of every tree of the garden I should eat freely. It's my privilege, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I will not eat of. See, you have to be in the will of God. And that's your sanctification. That's how we're going to. So you have to begin to deal with this rebellious attitude. Every one of us has a rebellion. Every one of us, one moment can be in the spirit and thinking, I'm going to do God's will. And the next minute, be in the flesh. And you think, well, I'm okay. Well, no, that's a cloak for mal maliciousness. That's a cloak for vice. That's a cloak for being evil. If you know it doesn't line up with the word of God and you say, I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. That's sinning willfully. That's blatantly. Blatantly. Now, does it kick you out of heaven? No, it doesn't kick you out of heaven. You might smell like smoke when you get there. Because we're called to do the will of God. And the precious blood of Jesus was poured out for us. So this thing of submission is what we have to learn. God placed order in the universe. It's His courtroom. Listen to me, when you trace every bit of this, and I've done it before, and you can go back and listen to the tapes, every bit of it is a courtroom drama. Every bit of it is a will. It's a document. It's the last will and testament of God. But somebody has to die for the will and testament to be opened up. That's what the Old Testament and the New Testament is. Our entire jurisprudence system is designed from this book. Yet they'll say, we're not a godly nation. We're not a godly people. God isn't real. Really. Who do you cry out on your deathbed? Most atheists will cry out to God on their deathbed. It's been said that Anton LaVey said, anybody know who Anton LaVey is? First house of Satan. Wrote the Black Bible. It's been said that he said on his deathbed, oh no, there's something wrong. Terribly, as he passed into eternity. Or, oh no, what have I done? I don't know that to be true. I wasn't in the room. But listen, it's too late now. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for men to die once. Then comes the judgment. You can't believe Van Halen that says you don't have to Die and go to heaven and wait around to be born again. Just tune into what this world has got to offer and you may never be here again. That's a lie. But it's being sang to millions of people all the time because everything is a pulpit. Everything is teaching you some type of a worldview. Everything. But the only one that is true is these 66 books by 40 authors that were written by God. And listen, somebody can say, oh, well, man messed it up. Well, if he did, then God's not God. If this isn't the full revelation of God, of His character, His nature, and His will, then God isn't God. 
We're all playing. Let's just go eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Because if God can't protect his own book, what kind of a God is he? If God can't protect himself, what kind of a God is he? If somebody else can be higher than him, what kind of a God is he? It's not one that I'm going to serve. See, I tried that God. I tried serving myself. I tried serving other things. And my conscience always brought me back to the word of God. And that's what you want to do in life. You want to listen to your conscience. Don't let it be seared with a hot iron to where you stop listening to it. Where you stop listening to the word of God. That's what Paul says in Acts 23, I think, that he always lived to have a good conscience before God. That his soul was right because his mind, will, and emotions was going, I want to line up with the will of God. That's what salvation is about. And it's a constant thing. It's a battle. It's harder to do than any other thing you're ever going to do. Because the whole world is crying, turn in here. Do this. Do that. That's not really true. And what are they really saying? Did God say? That's what the whole world is crying. It's underneath the sway of the wicked one. It's crying out, did God really say this is the way of life? And so we have to make these decisions moment by moment, daily, to say no to yourself and yes to God and his word. And without learning it, see, the world wants us to learn all these books. Listen to me. There's many books you can read. I remember when I was in prison, I read every book in the library. And we started borrowing them on a program that you can borrow books. And I'm like, I am never coming back to prison. I'm not going to try to escape. I don't ever want to come back, though. Only to realize that that was just man's opinion. I don't care how, I don't care. They're man. They can be wrong. In fact, we find out every day how wrong they were. Every day we find out that that was just their opinion. That was just a false hypothesis. That was just, they, they started without God and they ended without God. No matter how smart, how clever, how good of an orator they are, they cannot be wiser than God. So this is the book. These 66 books, basic instructions before leaving earth. This is what you want to make sure you spend your time in. Because it's the character and the nature. It's the heart of God. It's everything about his courtroom and his divine will. And yes, somebody had to die for that will and testament to be invoked. And then the Holy Spirit begins to give that will out to his people that will listen. To his heirs, if you will. It's all uh, um, uh, from our court system. Upside down statement, isn't it? Think about it. No, our court system is all from it. Okay, we'll get back on this because I like to just rattle sometimes and get on a soapbox. But listen to me. What in your life is not being sub subject to what you're supposed to be? Well, I don't know because I've been lied to all my life. So now I don't know who I'm supposed to be subject to. Now I really don't know what my place is. Now I really don't know where my calling is. Well, where are you going to find that out at? At the throne of grace. You're going to find it out by asking God, how did you design this planet? How did you design uh, a family? How did you design society? How did you design the church? Where's my authority come from? And see, and no matter who's your authority, they have to answer to somebody else. Authority doesn't stop with you. It doesn't stop with me. Authority stops with God. And it's going to stop at the throne room one day for every single one of us. 
So it begins with God created the heavens and the earth. He's the ultimate authority. He's involved everywhere in Scripture. There is no Scripture without him. He is the living word. He's the word that's on the pages here. You're having conversation with him as you read them. And so when he tells us that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, you know, that, that we should proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That was back in earlier in chapter 2. And then he begins to tell us now practically this is how you walk. As you stay here, you have to say no to fleshly lust. You have to say no to your, uh, your decisions, your free will. We're like, I'm not going to listen to them. I'm going to go where I want. It ended real bad with me. I told my mom I wasn't going to listen, and I ended up in prison. And that's the only place. See, listen, if you don't listen to the authority that's in your life, it's always going to end up a higher authority. See, my, biblically, my mom, my parents are my highest authority. But when you're in society doing the same type of rebellion that you did in the house, then there becomes another authority, which is the police, the government. God put them in that place purposely to punish those who do bad and to reward those who do good. You know, you get these accommodations. I was in a house the other day that the people have been married 70 years. They had this thing on the wall, being married 70 years, you know, some senator signed. That's pretty accommodating. 70 years? I'm like, wow, you've been married 70 years? Really? What's the secret? And he said, well, I'll tell you, on our honeymoon, when we got married, we were 22, and we went to the Grand Canyon for our honeymoon. And he said, we rented a mule. We're going to go camping. And we were headed down that track, and we're going down to where we camp at. And that mule stumbled. And he said, my wife went over and whispered in that mule's ear. And I'm like, what in the world is she doing? So we go on a bit ways, and all of a sudden that mule stumbled again. And my wife, my sweet wife, pulled out a pistol and shot that mule in the head. And it fell down. I'm like, what are you doing? And she said, that's once. We ain't had an argument since. We've made it 70 years. Some of you guys, that went like this. but And it's a joke. It really is a joke. It really was a joke. But I love sharing it. And that's what I shared with a customer who'd been married 70 years. So what's your authority? Is it, is it military might? Is it a gun? Is it your wife? You want to be nice to your wife? Does your authority come from God? Does it come from man? See, these are questions you have to answer. And if you answer them wrong, you're obeying the wrong things. You're going to have your whole life upside downward. And that's why God says he created man. He's seen that everything that he had done was good, except for man did not have a helpmate comparable. So he allowed a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he took a rib out of the side. And with that, he conducted the first marriage, and he brought man to woman. And woman said, or man said, whoa, man. And, and, and he called her Eve, the mother of all creation. And then they began to procreate. And have children. But what happened in that house that was supposed to be teaching uh, 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 
Actually, first, the devil rushes in and attacks that marriage, and sin happens, and then they're pushed out of the garden, and then they have uh, Cain and Abel, and because one obeyed and one didn't, one becomes the first martyr of the church. Yes, the church, because all through the Bible, you have the through principle. It's those that are called out to follow God, the ecclesia. It's always the church. It's always God's people. He, he becomes, uh, Abel becomes the first martyr. Because he was preaching righteousness with the very offering he was giving to God. He was preaching righteousness. He was preaching obedience to God. And Cain didn't like it. And God said, Cain, why why is your countenance following? If you do good, you'll be rewarded. But if not, sin is crouching at your door. So they were in the field and he rose up and killed his brother. Then he became a castaway. He was cast out. A castaway is a word that we do not want to hear in our lives. It's, castaway is a word that means like the metal that you can't use for nothing. It, it, it's like that. It's like the, the, you know, ever had a grape, the fruit, all that great fruit from a grapevine. And then you pull the grapes off and you go, what in the world could anybody do with this? Nothing. It's castaway. You can't make anything out of it. It's puke metal is what we used to call it. That's what a castaway is. Given a will to follow God, given a choice to obey God, and says, no, I'm going to do my own thing. Okay, we're way off track there, but uh, where are you getting your authority from? The Bible or man? You get your your authority from uh, uh, somebody else or from God. Let's read. We'll tie all this together. It's verse 18, 1 Peter chapter 2. Servants... Be submissive, subject to your masters with all fear, fear of God, not fear of the master, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, thankworthy King James, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it? When you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you that by the precious blood of Jesus, we can choose to return to the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd of our souls, the overseer, the one who comes and watches over us and sends angels to protect us. Thank you. Help us to understand subjection and submission and orderly ranking in your kingdom for your glory for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, servants, just a, a menial domestic household servant, doesn't necessarily have to be a slave by definition, someone who is working off a debt or someone, that's their job. To you and me, it could mean uh, an employee, 
See, sometimes there's, sometimes there's not a, a, a practical, complete, uh, oh, wow, I'm a servant, I better follow that. But there's always the principle that's contained. That's the way we look at the Old Testament. There's always a type or a principle that we can continue to follow, you know, that, that is laid out in the Scripture because the heart of God never changes. It just doesn't change. It might not be a thou shall not, but you have a principle that you can still follow. And so we kind of apply it to us taking jobs. Listen to me. Don't think that you have to stay in that job that you're in. If God tells you to leave, leave. But if you leave just because you can and just because somebody's picking on you or just because you don't like what's going on, don't be surprised if you don't get to the other job and there you are. Don't be surprised if you don't get to the other job, and now it's worse because there's people everywhere you go, and you're always wherever you're at, and God wants to deal with you. That's, that's just a simple truth. God is dealing with you in a personal way, and then he deals with us all as a body where we're supposed to love one another. It's the one another ministry. So don't think you can escape God. You can't go anywhere. Where can you go from his presence? If you go into the depths of the sea, he's there. Wherever you go, David said, he's always there. And so are you. Because he's dealing with you. No matter what's going on, he wants to deal with you. And he wants you to obey. Servants be subject. Hupo tasso. Align yourself. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Now listen, anytime a master tells you to do something that's illegal, now you've got to remember the authority that's above the master. You're subject to somebody. If my boss tells me to rob banks, I'm not going to rob banks. I'm subject to another authority. You've got to look at the authority. You're always putting yourself underlying the authority. But when that person is your authority and you rebel against that authority, it becomes sin. It's going to be hard for you. Listen to me. It's going to, it's going to interfere with your heart being submissive to God. It's going to quench the Holy Spirit's work of changing you. But God puts people in our lives so that when we submit to them and humble ourselves, He can lift us up. He can grow us up. He can change us and move us someplace else that He wants to use us. But we have to learn to hoopo, abide under, stay behind, and go through the valley of the shadow of death. As David said, we're going through it. We're not going to stop and camp out in it because there's a greater light that's causing that shadow. We're following that light. We're not following the shadow. Always remember who your authority is, where it comes from, and learn to train your heart just like we would want to train children. See, some parents raise kids and they teach them to do all kinds of things. But it's really the heart you want to major in the majors and minor in the minors, and you want to always be sure to win their heart to the Lord. That's the first ministry of the gospel. The, the husband's loving the wife, and that's an example of Christ's love to the church. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word. Now listen to me. That's exactly what Christ is doing to us. He laid his life down. Now he's sanctifying and cleansing us through the washing of the water, the word. And then he says, husbands, I'm leaving you as leaders. You do the same thing to your wife. And then he says, wives and husbands together, train your children that this is how it's done. 
that your hearts would not be rebellious and you would grow up and rebel against all authority and we would end up with a lawless nation that thinks that good is bad and bad is good because they kill my word and they kill the truth. He's not being mean. Listen to me. In everything you read in the Bible and everything you follow, everything you see, it's God who is the great physician doing perfect surgery on your heart and my heart all at the same time. That's how wise he is. He's doing surgery on us because he loves us. You and I are still trying to get through next week with our boss, next week with our spouse, next week with our children. And God is trying to get us into eternity conformed into his image. He's got such a greater view, such a greater plan, and he will allow that little rambunctious child to deal with your heart to teach you patience. He will allow them to be more strong-willed. He will allow things to happen and then use it for good if you will continue to hupotasso the way that you're supposed to do. God uses it for glory. If you reject and become rebellious and live just like anybody else would, then the devil's the only one that wins. Does it mean you're still saved? Yeah, if you ever were. Because when we reject God's authority, that's the very thing salvation does. It delivers us back to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. Delivers us back under his authority. And if he doesn't say go, don't go. And if he doesn't say quit, don't quit. My wife tells me all the time, don't get another job. I know. Because every time I get a new job, my pay goes way down. Because we don't make decisions based on how much it costs. We make decisions based on whether God is calling us. That's what you make decisions on. We had gotten insurance for the first time in our life when we come down here 14 years ago. First time in our life, the last day our insurance was getting ready to expire, we both held hands as we went through the operating room and both of us got our final surgeries. I had my deviated septum fixed. I forget what she had. Oh, she had her throat stretched from her uh, shrinking. And then we took a big old pay cut, boom, and went without medical insurance for six or eight years. But God always provides. See, when you step, you don't, you don't make your decisions based on the world that's leading you away from God into death culture. I'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater and don't use your brain. Of course use your brain. But does your brain line up with God or does your brain line up with the world? That's what you got to find out. See, if your brain's lining up the, with the world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one, then eventually you're going to be led away from any thought of God. Or you're going to be led into a religion where you think you're serving God and you're really just serving your own fleshly needs that you're supposed to be abstaining from. So we have to train our hearts to be subject to those people that we're supposed to be subject to. And then always remember that we're following God, not man. But when we put all of our gifts and talents and abilities together, we can reach others for the glory of God. Be subject to your masters. Notice it says your. See, it's always personal. You're going to see it in a minute. Own. And you were and we are. These are things that you have to pay attention to. This does not tell a servant to be submissive to some other master. Oh, there's another master in the room. I better obey that master. No. If you're a servant to a certain master, now you obey that master. That doesn't make every person that's in that position as a master your boss. 
It's personal, just like with God. In the next chapter, you're going to see wives obey your own husbands. Not every husband. See, you have to know who you're supposed to be obeying. And then you come to the church, and we're supposed to to obey and listen to the pastors and the elders as one who watches over your soul, as one who must give an account for your soul. Hebrews chapter 11, somewhere in that area. See, these are things that you have to understand God's order and how he plays things. What's the devil doing? He makes up all of these other synagogues of Satan that look like it, look like religion. They look like the same thing the Bible says, but they just make you feel good. They have nothing to do with dying to self. They have to do with doing what you feel like doing when you feel like doing it. See, God will just drop it in your lap when you don't feel like it. Lord, I've already got enough. What do you mean? Bob was telling me, and I can't tell his last name because then everybody would know. Lord, give me patience. And then he got pulled over by a state trooper right after that. He said, here, I'm going to work on you. Sit and rest for a minute, Bob. That's how God works. He's not being mean to Bob. He's, you know, listen, that's one thing people say. Don't pray for patience. Listen, I'm not a doctor. I don't want any patience, okay? I'm trying to get away from the patience. That's a terrible joke. But as soon as you ask, don't be surprised when everything falls down in front of you and you have to stop and wait and watch and figure out what to do. Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So when you're learning patience, you're learning to be like God. Do you know how long he waited on me? Do you know how long he's waited on this world? Do you know how long he's been patient with people in their sin? My goodness. And we can't even be patient with anybody around us. We can't be patient with people. I am glad he waited until November 17, 1997, until I was ready to stop running. I was so glad that he's that long-suffering. But see, we know his heart. We've given, we're given it in the Bible. He's not willing. God's not willing. In his will, in his last will and testament, he is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. However, he gives you free will. And you can will to not learn. You can will to not obey. You can will to stay rebellious. You can will to ignore authority. You can will to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And that will will send you straight to hell. Just the simple truth of the Bible. Simple truth of the Bible. Simple truth of the Bible. When we enroll in... God's school 101. So you don't have to be submissive to some other master, just your own master. So who's your master? Who's your boss? They're going to ask you to do things. Listen, I tell people all the time, that's why they don't call this recess. You're going to have to do things on the job that you don't want to do. It's not recess. Grow up. Grow up. I don't like that. That's not me. This is not how I feel. Grow up. It doesn't matter. You're an adult now. I don't do that. You're an adult now responsibility if it's not evil you do that now it's called loyalty it's called it's called doing i mean uh never mind i digress grow up masters you're supposed to be aligning yourself under your master i know people got crazy rules with all fear now listen this is not fear of your master it's fear of god God tells us not to fear man. It produces a stumbling block. But fear God, and it produces righteousness. 
We're doing it because we're hupotassoing ourselves under God in his order, in his court, for his glory. So now we order ourselves underneath and find out who we're supposed to be obeying in the rest of culture. Not only to the good and gentle, isn't it easy to obey a boss that's just like, oh, whatever, he's got that laissez-faire, you know, the, uh, the, the, the business type that most people don't use anymore. Oh, I don't know, maybe it's the new culture. Uh, I keep seeing all these little, I'm going to get in trouble, ain't I? We got these little sick rooms and quiet rooms and I don't feel good rooms and I'm having a moment room and really? Grow up! We're getting smarter. We're living longer. No, we're getting dumber. We're going backward. We're regressing, not progressing. Everything they tell you we're doing, it's the opposite. Always the opposite. Death culture always tries to tell you it's hot when it's really cold. They always tell you it's progressive when it's really regressive. They always tell you it's the Republican and it's really the Democrat. And I'm not getting political. I'm just telling you. The devil always tells you this is good when it's really bad. Because the culture is underneath the sway of the devil. And it's been hijacked. And I can even do a disclaimer. Today's Democrats are not last year's Democrats. They're different. Used to be two parties in America and they would fight. And when they were done fighting, they'd all get together and they'd try to make America great. At least they tell me. And I can give in to that because all I'm trying to do is get you to give in to God. I don't want to stand around and argue about politics because every man that's president, every person that's president, guess what? They're still underneath the sway of the wicked one. If you're not underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ, looking to be subject, looking to obey and follow this word, looking to get involved in God's kingdom of reconciliation of souls, then you're still underneath the sway of the wicked one. I don't care whether you're in the church or out of the church. I don't care what you say. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Everybody's a Christian. They're born in America. Now, if you haven't entered in to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit where you're concerned about reconciliation of souls, you're still living for self. You're still pursuing self. You're still living for self. Jesus laid self down on the cross. He gave us an example to follow. This is about reconciling souls, not being happy. This is about telling people truth so their conscience can go, really? God said, nah. Or they can say, yay, and come into heaven with us. That's what it's about. They have to make that decision. What decision have you made? Whose authority are you under? Who's your most high God? Yourself? Money? America? A president? Not me. Yahweh. It's Yahweh or the no way. So even when they're harsh, isn't this hard? My goodness. Even when they're harsh. Now this is really talking about beating you. For this is thankworthy. This is the word charis, grace, acceptable, commendable we use here because we understand that word better. If because of conscience, your moral conscience uh, the part of you that knows right from wrong toward God notice it's always toward God your conscience is always needing to be right before God see you don't listen here's what's wrong with man pleasers it's always God then man man pleasers will please man first even if it doesn't please God 
Oh, I just couldn't say no. I just can't say no. And we, call, we, we make people out to be bad for that. Listen, if God tells me to say no, I am saying no. If the Word of God says no, I'm saying no. That's love. I want to be right with God whether I'm right with you or not. Once my vertical relationship is right, now God gives me the tools to begin to work on my horizontal relationships. And then I begin to love my neighbor as myself. And subject myself to what's going on in their life. And as Philippians 2, 3 maybe says, don't look out just for your own affairs, but look out for the affairs of others. You always want to have your mind on others because that's what God is. God's got his mind on others. He was already perfect, but he said, wait a minute, there's others. I'm going to go get them. My delight is with the sons of men. I'm going to go get them. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to put my heart out there for them. And if they choose me, I'll choose them, and I'll let them live for eternity with me. Isn't that great? We privilege to come into the house of God. He's not doing anything to be mean to us. You know how you parent your children? Some of you are still parents. You parent your children, and they, and they act like you're being mean to them. You're just trying to train their little hearts so when they dash for the road, you can yell, Johnny, stop, and he'll stop. Because if you don't train his heart to listen, he'll run for the road, and you go, Johnny, and he'll go, smack. That's a bad thing. That's all God's doing with you and me. He wants us to train our hearts to listen so that we don't run headlong into sin, but we turn away from it. We don't run headlong into death, but we turn away from it because we're hearing his voice. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow. He, just, he loves us. We go, oh, rules. That's rebellion. Oh, more stuff. No, you're privileged. You get to be involved in the kingdom of God. You get to have life. You were born dead and separated from God. So he says in verse 20, well, end of 19b, suffering wrongfully. So it's wrongfully um, if your conscience is enduring grief because you're doing what's right for God. And of course, again, grief is heaviness. It can be sorrow. Suffering uh, is usually an experience of a sensation that's usually painful. It can vex you. It could be um, beatings or it could be just something like, I don't want to do that. You're not the boss of me. Wait a minute. Be careful with that. It might be funny, but it's not good. And then verse 20, he says, for what credit, what glory, is the King James, what praise, what renown is it when you are beaten for your faults? You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. In other words, like, I was thrown into prison for robbing people's houses. I was, I was a stupid drug addict that took what I wanted, and if I didn't want it, I would break it just to be destroying it. I didn't care whose it was because I was lawless. No law. Transgressor means no law. I was rebellious because I wasn't trained to obey in the home. I grew up without a father, which is the most important figure in the home. It takes both, but the father is there, and he's the one that mom says, hey, when dad gets home. See, that's a picture of Christ in the church. God's coming back. There's a bigger judgment coming one day. 
Men are built like that on purpose. Men are built stronger and tougher and meaner on purpose. Doesn't mean they're supposed to be sailors. Sailors get a bad rap when I say that. Doesn't mean they're supposed to be, you know, not gentle. You know, the Bible says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Gentleness is, again, a fruit of the Spirit. But it's made this way on purpose, designed that way for us. And the devil just wants to destroy the type and the picture and the analogy of Christ in the church. So I went to prison because I did something wrong, right? But think about it. When somebody, there's a lot of people that's been thrown into prison, and they were falsely convicted. After years and years and years, they get out, you know. And and he says, that's commendable. When you do good and you're punished for it. See, that's what's going on in our culture today. When you try to say something good, when you try to do good, I've had women get mad at me for opening a car door for them or holding a door for them or saying, can I get that for you and help you carry that? I'm seriously, I'm not being mean. I'm just saying because our culture is so upside downward. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's a woman or a man. And I say, can I help you? That person should be grateful that somebody's trying to help them. Not turn around and look at a man like he is trying to treat me like I'm a lesser than. No, I'm trying to be polite because that's what I'm called to do. Let me help you get that. Don't do that. I'll take care of that for you. It's okay to assume and know your position in hupotasso. It's okay to know what you're called to do and to do it. It's okay. Like I always say, you can mow your grass with a weed eater. But it wasn't designed for that. When you mow your grass with a weed eater, it's going to take you longer. It's going to burn up quicker. You're going to buy a whole lot more of them. It's going to abuse you. It's going to hurt you. It's not going to be even. It's not going to do the same thing it was designed to do. What are you designed to do? Who are you designed to do it with? And it's easy. Listen, if you're doing good and your boss is good, everything's going good, that's easy, isn't it? Isn't that easy peasy? Is that what they say? That's so easy. The boss is cool. I'm cool. We get something done. We get something done. Everything's great. But now you're doing what you think you're supposed to do and you get punished. Jesus says something like the same thing over in 546 of uh, Matthew. Let me read it to you what Jesus says. 546. For if you love those who love you, get this, this is very strong, people. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Remember, tax collectors were the worst. That's what Jesus said. It's the same type thing. When you're doing what you're supposed to do and everything's going good, what's the big deal? The proof that you're submitting, the proof that you're obeying God, the proof that you're being a good ambassador is to deal with suffering and pain and and people that treat you wrongly and still love them. Think about it. We're getting ready to hear about the example because Jesus, perfect love, perfectly without sin, he came down to sinners. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in yet that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's amazing. And that's the example he's given you and me to follow. Just because people speak harshly doesn't mean we don't still love them and pray for them. Now, I'm telling you, sometimes you've got to make some boundaries. You know, if they're swinging or... Just, just vile and you can't be around them. you got to make some boundaries sometimes and go, but you don't hate them. 
you still love them. And with a boss, you still submit yourself under so that you might win them to Christ. And the same thing in many relationships that you're going to have in life. You continue to love people and put up with their character flaws. And the closer you are to people, you know what? The more you see the chinks in their armor. The closer you are, the more you see their clay feet. The closer you are, the more you see the things that just shine. It's just like your own face. Get a mirror that magnifies more. And you get it up closer, you go, whoa, I didn't even know that was there. Seriously, when you get closer, it's easier to see. Put anybody underneath the microscope, and you'll find that all are sinners. 21, for to this you were called. See, up in, in uh, verse 15, he said, for this is the will of God for your life. Now he says you were called to this. This is what you've been called to. And really it's a general term that in salvation, you're called to be an example like Christ. In the whole scheme of salvation, you're called, uh uh-oh, here we go. Because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Listen, we're called to suffer. We're called to go through stuff. We're called to go through it in a loving, kind way, a different way than other people would go through suffering, screaming and yelling and ranting and raving, ready to get out and to stop and to quit. We are called. It's called. It's the will of God because Christ suffered, and he left us an example that we should follow his steps. Now think about this for a minute. The example there, example is uh, underwriting. Let me find it. I got it someplace. Example. He left us an example. Listen, the word leaving is the word bequeath. What is it? He's doing his will. He's handing out our inheritance, and it's been queeved to us, bequeathed to you. It's your inheritance to suffer. Boy, this is a good gospel, Greg. Keep preaching it to us. Everybody's going to suffer because of death. Everybody in this life is getting worse. It's dying because of sin. We're going to go through some stuff, but how are you going to go through it? Like Christ and his example, you're going to go through it just by ignoring it, running from it. It doesn't make the problem go away when you go. I don't want to talk about that. Never makes it go away. So he left us. He bequeathed us an example. And the word example is, is, a, is an underwriting. It's a copy uh, or a form to imitate. When I was in prison, I used to do a whole lot of artwork, and I'd make greeting cards, and people would want the same greeting card. Well, I learned pretty quickly that if I just drew that card once and, and, and designed it, then somebody else goes, you know that one you made for Jim? I want one just like that. I go, oh, my goodness, i got to do that again. i got to reproduce it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a pattern. And then I take the pattern and flip it over, and we put pencil all over the back of it and make it like carbon copy, flip it over, put it on the card, trace it. That's what this is talking about. You're tracing the tracks and the testimony and the heart of God. And it's placed upon you. You're being conformed into it. And if your life is not fitting inside the lines, you know you tell kids to stay in the lines? You need to grow up. You need to start tracing and stay in the lines. Trace what God has done, the example he's left for us.
Scripture helps you understand what that tracing looks like. That's why you have to have the Bible. See, if you just go, well, this is God. God is love. He allows everything. That's not a picture of Christ. He's going to judge one day for everything. You need this, which gives you the character, the nature, the will. It gives you a perfect picture of the heart of God and His requirements. See, the Old Testament gives you the heart of God in hard stone, the law. But the New Testament gives you the spirit of it was that God loves you and he wanted to protect you and keep you from hell. And now he did it for you and he set you free to follow him. But you don't go back and live the same way because of that great love. Now we can trace his steps and learn to be like him, not like the world, not like the devil, not like the old person. How are you doing with tracing his steps? I don't do very good with it most of the time. But I'm getting better at it. I'm learning better how to hold the pencil, you know, and, and how to, you know, when I first used to, because when I, when I, I did drugs for a long time. When I was in um, grade school, I got a trophy for being the best artist in the school as I graduated to go to middle school or seventh grade. It was high school then. And uh, I get to high school, and guess what? Art teacher said, no room in the class, Greg. I go, I just got a trophy for being the best art student in the school. She goes, you're a troublemaker. No room in the class for you. You cannot take art class. I didn't take nothing else. I got arrested that year my first time for assault and battery on a police officer. And then I, get, I go do drugs for a bunch of years, and I end up in jail, and I go, oh, I can draw. I'm going to draw something. You should have seen the stick people I drew. It was horrible. Other people thought, wow, that's nice. I'm like, that ain't good. Kids draw like that. But then after I practiced and I kept tracing, I kept drawing, I kept looking, I kept following the same principles that I knew to follow from my early instruction, I got really good again. And I made a lot of money. I have artwork all over the world. People send it to their girlfriends, tell them, look what I drew. That's what they always do. That's why they come back. They tell their girlfriend they drew it. The next year, they got to draw another one. So they go, hey, will you draw me another one? I'm like, no. Oh, come on, man, I'll give you. How about a little bit more since you've been lying to your girlfriend? It was a good con in prison, so sorry. I, just, I mean, I'm just telling you my life. And, but, but if you don't practice it, see, and we're getting ready to get to this here in a minute because, see, we're no longer practicing death. We're practicing righteousness. We're tracing the steps of righteousness, the pattern of righteousness. What does it look like, Greg? Read the book. Look at the other people. That's why it's so important how we treat others. They're looking at our witness. They're looking at us as ambassadors of what Americans would look like. Think about it. Over in the Middle East, they're going, that's what Americans do? I'm going to America. America looks like a really nice place to go. Because our ambassadors go over there and they're rich and luxurious and they drive nice cars. Everybody wants to go to America. He left us an example. Listen, it's very important to know this. Listen, because some people like religion, they like to, you are, not ex, you are not saved by following that example. You can't trace the picture and get saved. But if you are saved by faith through grace because he died on the cross and you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, 
then you're saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses unto salvation. I think I got that backward, but it's the same thing. They work tandem, heart and mouth together. Then you begin to trace to learn what it means to be Christ-like, to be a child of God. You begin to trace. You cannot get saved by doing the actions. You cannot go to heaven by following the actions. You have to just simply believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. The word is pistio in the Greek. It means to confidently trust your spiritual well-being into Christ. And then the word also, the next word with that, is have a constancy in that. You continue to trace. You continue to abide and continue and remain. Just like an apple or a grape would in the vine. They stay there. They don't grunt and groan. They just receive from the word of God, the living word of God. And they continue to try to learn to trace a little bit better and get in the lines a little bit better. Practice staying in the lines. I like teaching my grandkids that when you get ready to color a picture, you trace the whole thing first with the color it's going to be. And then when you go like this sideways, you don't notice as much when you get out of the lines. So you're putting a little bit of grace on it. You cover around it first. And then the edges are already that color. I do the same thing cleaning carpet. I always go around the room first and then I do the middle. So I don't have to pay attention and bounce off the side of the walls. Listen, it's a good practice in life. Know the boundaries. Know the places. Know what's going on. Hang out with people that are living in the middle of God's will. Not with people that are on the edges. Worried about going out of the line. Learn to trace God and learn to follow him from the middle of his will. Don't play around on the edges. It seems the church is making this salvation a, a, a cloak for vice, a cloak for maliciousness. And that's why the lines are so confused and so ugly and so blurry. He left us a pattern. I was talking the other night about that, the pattern, the example. You know, if you take a copy of a, something and you put it on the copy machine, and then you copy it, and then you give that one away, and then you put a, that, you, now you make a copy of the copy of the copy of the copy of the copy, and you do that about 200 times, how close is it going to be to the original pattern? Not very close, because it expands it a little bit every time. It, 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 it takes the pixels out a little bit more every time. And now you get this distorted view of what the church is. That's why you have to be in the Word, looking at Jesus, tracing His steps. Yes, you look at people who are following Jesus. Yes, you learn from everything else going on. But make sure it lines up with the original icon, the original pattern, the original example. Who thought he could get through seven verses? Come on. Verse 22, who committed no sin. So he's leaving us an example because Christ suffered. He left us an example to trace after and follow in his steps who committed no sin. Sinless. Nor was deceit found in his mouth. Notice where that's at. Come on now. James says, if you could tame the tongue, you'd be a perfect man. He was. He tamed the tongue. There was no deceit in his mouth. He had every right to say, wait a minute, I'm God, I'm sinless. And yet, as a lamb to slaughter, he was silent before his shears. Because he knew what he was called for. He wasn't arguing over the, whether he was innocent or guilty. He was trying to win souls. See, and we get caught up in all these red herrings. We get caught up in all these stains that, that we're arguing about that, are, that they don't matter. 
What matters is salvation of souls. What matters is do they believe in the precious blood of Jesus? And are they learning not to be rebellious anymore? Or are they still following the same old life? There's always going to be evidence of true faith. And that's actually um, Isaiah 53 that he's quoting there, 53.9. Go read Isaiah 53.9. I'm not going to get there. We're going to talk about right here in this text is Isaiah 53.9, 53.7, and 53.5. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own ways. And the Lord has laid upon himself the iniquity of us all. He took our sin on the cross. Verse 23, so he committed no sin, he had no deceit in his mouth, who when he was reviled, when he was reviled, that's reproach, he was vilified, it means to heap abuse upon him. He did not revile in return, he didn't heap any back, he didn't say anything back. When he suffered, he did not threaten, this is the example he didn't forbid it. Listen, he didn't forbid it. He said to Pilate, no authority, you could have no authority if it were not given from above. See, he obeyed the authorities. He was in subjection to the authorities. He listened to the authorities. He knew they were taking him to the cross to crucify him and kill him. But he committed himself to God. He trusted God through the battle. He trusted God through what he was called to go through. And we've been called to suffer. We've been called to follow this example. It's not a crossless gospel like we preach in America. This is clear. I mean, black and white in my Bible. I don't know what color it is in yours. When he suffered, he did not threaten them. Uh, wait till you get to the judgment seat, dude. You want to give me guile while I'm hanging on the cross? Oh, you want to smack me? I know who smacked me. I knew who hit me while you was playing that crazy game. Wait till I see you in heaven, dude. I'm the judge of all. He could have did a whole lot of talking. Kept his mouth shut. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the guys that were punching him in the face while they had him blindfolded? And saying, who hit you? Prophesy. Who hit you? Can you imagine them when they're standing before the throne of God? Now, if they repented later, can you imagine their heartache? The remorse of really knowing what they've done to God. See, because we're all sinners, people. That should humble us. Because we have the same heart that if we were under authority of the Roman guard, we would have punched him in the face and did what we were told to do. We would have tried to make him confess all of his crimes against Rome. And that's what it was. When they, when they beat him, worse than any man was ever beaten, that was a cleanup statement. They were whipping him. He was supposed to confess everything he had did against Rome. He was innocent. I don't know about you, but I'd have made some stuff up. You know, hey, I called Caesar a punk. Get me, quit hitting me. Quit hitting me. I stole everything. Quit hitting me. He couldn't lie. There's no lie in him. So that's why he was beaten worse than anybody. But he didn't threaten back. He didn't say, dude, you think that's funny, that whip? Wait till you get to heaven at the throne room. See, there's a lot of things that we can do that we choose as Christians, as ambassadors, as witnesses for God that we don't do. We just keep our mouths shut. 
because we're worried about their soul more than we're worried about being right. We've got to learn that. We've got to learn that in love. What did he do? He committed himself. Notice it's personal. He didn't threaten. He committed himself to who? To him who judges righteously. He said, you know, I know who I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit myself to God who always judges righteously and perfectly and justly. And he knows, and he knows, and then think about it on the other side, he rose from the grave. Death couldn't hold him. Death was defeated. It's a victory so that all of us can believe in that now because he stayed in the will of God. He stayed underneath the authority he was supposed to be following. He continued to obey the will of God and the calling of God. And he committed himself to this judge, 24, who himself, and then he tells us, he bore our sins. Not his sins. He was sinless. He was bearing our sins and obeyed. Listen to me. I'm telling you, this is what we're supposed to be as Christians to people around us, to people down the street, to people who don't know Jesus. They're still sinners. Such were some of us. When we are silent and we Give them the gospel, even though we say, oh, I'm not talking to them. When we tell them the truth, we're bearing their sins. We're putting up with their lives for a moment. I'm not telling you to have fellowship with them. The Bible's got a different message with that. But for the church to grow up like it always does and ignore the lost. See, that's where evangelism is supposed to take place, not in the pews on Sunday morning. We're supposed to come here ready to hear from God, ready to be trained, ready to be get ready for battle and get those shoes on and go out there with the gospel of peace. It's not here that we're supposed to be damaging. We should come here like a little spiritual hospital, knowing that everybody that walks in that door is really looking for God. God has shook them to be here for a reason. And we shouldn't care about numbers. I'm not concerned a bit about numbers. Breaks my heart when people leave and they don't want to hear the truth. But it's not about numbers. It's about preaching the gospel. He committed himself to God. What do you, who do you commit yourself to when you go through something? When there's pain, when there's suffering, when you have a problem? What do you do first? you pick up the phone and call somebody or do you call upon God? See, the first thing to do is go to God and say, What does your word say about this? Oh, oh, I ain't getting an answer here. Let me call somebody that knows the Word of God. You don't call somebody that knows a doctor. You call somebody that knows the Word of God. The Word of God is what you want to apply to your life. The balm of Gilead, the truth of God, when things happen, no matter what they are. And if that's what you're called to, don't take them out of it. Don't put a pillow underneath somebody's head. When they're called to that suffering, when they're called to that place, God will give them grace for that moment. God will give them grace to get them through that and train their heart and sanctify them and conform them into the image of God and he'll produce a peaceable fruit of righteousness in those who are being trained by it. Same word again, we go back to they're educated by it. If you go back to Hebrews 12. That's what God's using. Everything that the devil means for bad. The devil brought original sin. He attacked marriage and family. And, it, and it's called decay all down through. But God is so infinitely wise that he even uses that death culture to produce peaceable fruits of righteousness in me if I'll hupotasso underneath what he gives me. If I'll say, okay, let's go. God will give me grace in it. You just got to trust him. That's what Jesus did. He's our example. Let's trace those steps. 
What did he do? Look at, notice, the, notice what's going on here. His own body on a tree. Not an animal. See, the Old Testament was animal sacrifices, a kofar that covered sin. Jesus come, took his own body. He prepared it for a sacrifice. He went there, and, and, and God the Father and God the Spirit were there with him. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he put his own body up as a sacrifice, his blood. Not an animal. That was a kofar. The blood of Jesus takes away the sins of the world. But the Old Testament, the animals just looked forward and it covered so God didn't have to see them until the day that he would completely give us a choice to choose the blood of Jesus and take away the sins. We get his righteousness. He takes our sin. He bore it on his own body on a tree. That's the wood. That's what it means. It means a wood. It means an instrument. A tree. It's timber. A stick. That which was made of wood. That we, having died to sins, it's past tense. King James says, being dead to sins. Why? Because he took the power and he took the penalty. I'm dead to sins now. My, my body might sin, but it's not really, it doesn't, it doesn't concern me. Oh, can it interrupt if I practice it? Yeah, it can interrupt my relationship with God. But it's already paid for perfectly by the blood of Christ, past, present, and future. So now I'm not practicing those sins. I'm dead to sin life, to the sin nature. If I will hupotasso underneath the word of God, if I will learn the word of God. And the only way to uh, live righteously is to be dead to that sin nature, because that's the next thing, but alive to righteousness. That you might live righteousness. What's righteousness? Fancy word. Right living before God. How do you find it out? Word of God. Right living before God. How do you find out his requirement, his heart? You read the word of God. Righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. Stripes, again, everything that he went through, I believe, the cross, his blood, you were healed. You were made whole. I believe it is Christ came to provide for all of my needs according to his riches and glory, right? But my first need is spiritual. So I believe perfectly by his stripes, my soul is healed. I have a new life abundantly in Christ. I'm no longer, I'm a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. But he also can heal your body. For you, personal, were like sheep going astray. Astray, sheep is a four-footed animal, something that moves forward. Uh, astray means to wander, be out of the way. It means deceived or err. We didn't even know it. It means to roam from safety. See, salvation means delivered back to safety. We were all sheep gone astray. But now, this is salvation. Listen to me. If you believe in Jesus, you've now returned to the shepherd and bishop, the shepherd or overseer of your souls. Our souls are safe with God. It, it's undefiled. It cannot be taken away. Returned uh, is the word to revert. It means to be converted. I'll close with this. Turn with me to Acts 3. One of my favorite texts. Peter's first sermon. Acts 3.19 do I have a bookmark in there? Maybe not. That's a different one, isn't it? Where's 319? 
he's uh, given the first sermon of the church after healing a lame man, and he says this, repent, metanoia, change your mind afterward, turn the other way, turn to God, uh, return, and be converted, reverted, return, why? That your sins may be blotted out. Blotted out is like if you spilled a bottle of black Indian ink on a white sheet. Christ wipes that away. It's a white sheet again. It's clean. White as snow. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Where do you get refreshed at? From the presence of the Lord. Where are you spending your time at? Listen. Have you indeed returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul? He came to die for you. He laid down his life for you. He poured out his blood for you, for us. But it's personal. That's why I say you. Do you take this personal? Do you know that there's an adversary trying to deceive you and keep you from the word of God, keep you from the truth of God, keep you from hupotassoing underneath the things you need to abide under? The word of God is clear that God loves us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever shall believe upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. So every instruction in there is to direct us to come back to him. Positionally, it's finished. Practically, that's what he's doing. He's not trying to be mean to us when he says, Hupotasso. He's not trying to be mean to us when he says, obey my command. He's not trying to be mean to us. He's trying to train our heart, our souls that have returned to him to follow the position, to practically walk out and end up in the same place that Jesus is, seated at the right hand of the Father. And if we're rebelling against that, we're rebelling against the word. We don't read it. We don't, we don't look for it. We're not asking God about it. Then we're just rejecting such a great salvation. Not a good place to be in our lives. Father, thank you. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us a desire to draw closer and follow closer behind you. you give us a desire lord to love and to serve and lay down our lives not just to those who love us or are nice to us but even to those who are harsh lord we know you died for all pour out your spirit have your way with us lord give us a desire to follow after you and to be ambassadors and witnesses for you help us to trace your steps in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. 
Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I